0: Well, good evening. Always nice to have you tune in and share a few hours with me here, care about, listen to what we cared about today, obviously. Let's get right to it because today was Ukrainian Independence Day. Uh, We talked about this last night. We're going to take a slightly different tact tonight. Um, We will figure out, though, we will find out what it was like in Ukraine today. Of course, it's the six-month mark since Russia's full-scale invasion of the country. Uh, President Zelensky had been warning that Russia might do something particularly nasty this week, and uh, there was a bombing today at a train station in the country. Twenty-two people were killed there. But in Kiev, a steady stream of people uh, still came to the city center today, where they've lined up all these Russian tanks and so on that have been captured or destroyed during the war. They put them along the route that Russia had hoped to have their victory parade on soon after this war began instead it's turned into something of a uh, tour, of a destination for people in kiev to come and celebrate ukraine's resilience so although events were cancelled this year the ones that would normally take place there were a lot of people downtown um celebrating in that way zelensky the president also said that ukraine will win this war that they are a nation quote reborn in conflict with a renewed sense of cultural and political identity. Uh, the day was marked around the world with well wishes including here in Canada. NATO allies offered more support. Outgoing British Prime Minister Boris Johnson visited Kiev and or Kyiv rather and the U.S. confirmed a new security assistance package of about three billion dollars to Ukraine. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says the NATO alliance will stand by or will not stand by as Russia threatens its neighbors. When
1: we live in a more dangerous world, when we see the aggressive actions of uh, President Putin against uh, a sovereign, uh, peaceful nation in Europe, Ukraine, and all the threatening rhetoric against uh, NATO allies, then we need to invest more, uh, and that's exactly what uh, NATO allies are uh, doing.
0: Stoltenberg will visit Canada over the next few days. Canada's parliament meantime in Ottawa will be lit up in blue and yellow this evening, or is lit up in blue and yellow to mark Independence Day. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau said it's a tribute to the country's bravery. Uh, Tonight, Canada, of course, the first Western country to recognize Ukraine's independence back in 1991. Well, to get a better idea of what the mood was like there today, what lies ahead, joining me now is global affairs analyst Michael Borsicu. He's a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and a Canadian who spent a lot of time in Ukraine. Over the last six months he's in odessa tonight thanks for your time uh, it's good to be back with you ben i guess just the mood there today i mean usually the 24th is a day of celebration and flag waving but it's i got the sense from afar at least that this was a bit of a day of quiet defiance instead of uh, outright celebration
1: yeah indeed um i i just came back from um, a stroll around odessa basically the beachfront and uh definitely far far fewer out on the street than you can normally see on a day like today, uh, the big fear being that uh, Russia will send those long-range uh, rockets this way. Uh, it's been pretty peaceful so far, but uh, I think we've had about four or five air raid siren alarms so far today, um, quite a few the day before yesterday. So, um, of course, the the anxiety is heightened by a number of things. I mean, we just a few days ago was that uh, car bombing in moscow of the daughter of the uh, russian propagandist uh, mr dugan right. uh russians right away blaming uh, ukraine for that so uh we um we kind of all thought that that was perhaps a you know a white flag operation that it was a manufactured um event where they would use it uh, for an excuse to attack now um elsewhere in ukraine there have been uh missiles flying um in places we don't usually see for example Cherkasy, which is uh, South of uh, Kiev, not that right. long of a drive actually, a couple of hours drive. Um, uh, Kharkiv also has been getting pounded very heavily, and then a few other cities in in the south and east. And uh, also been, um, I think it was just yesterday, uh, there were some rocket strikes on the headquarters of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, yeah, uh, right, right in Donetsk city. So, wow, well, okay, yeah, we've been there. Was, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was that was quite something to see as well. So, yeah, and people are taking it in stride. Um, not really a day of celebration, but I kind of I think a day of stock taking. A lot of people thinking, how much longer is this going to go on? Should my friends and relatives return from overseas? So a lot of time to think about um, what the next six months will be, and of course, lots and lots of legitimate concern about the heating season here. Um, you may recall Ben being here that a lot of the you know, towns and villages um have uh centralized heating, those old right. above ground pipes. And uh not only their fears that the Russians will knock those uh, that infrastructure out, but also that there won't be enough gas to go around to. So quite a lot to to, to ponder today. Yeah.
0: I mean, and for you too, I mean, just six months in now, and it seems like time has both flown by and stood still since uh, we were speaking right before uh, the invasion began. Uh, when you look back now, I mean, there's certainly some some things that I think have been uh, surprising. Uh, Ukraine's ability to defend itself mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. has been surprising. Russia's inability uh, to, yep. to be more successful has been uh, surprising. But what has really stood out for you in the last six months? I know that's a loaded, there's a lot in that question. Yeah. But,
1: yeah. <laughs> Not at all. Um, definitely. Definitely Ukraine's ability to defend itself. Uh, now, let there be no mistake, they've taken heavy losses as well. Um, human losses, The there aren't really official figures out there, but we do know for sure that it's in the thousands. We do know that, um, I mean, I know, per, you know, from personal observation and the view of seeing these military funerals that a lot of the guys being sent back uh, are very, very young who are being buried. So. Um, these guys are working extremely hard, the Ukrainian armed forces. I mean, I've met a couple of guys now, uh, traveling around the country by train and, uh, some of them, Ben are taking their first break in about five months and they're only coming home for a few days and then going back to the battlefield. I cannot imagine what kind of stress and, you know, kind of physical, um, stress as well that they're under. But uh, now they're, you know, using more technology. They're getting a lot more of the weaponry that uh, Zelensky backed for at the beginning, Uh, more long-range capability, more precision capability. So that is going to be really good. That will, you know, not require uh, the Ukrainian Armed Forces servicemen to be right there on the front line. And uh, the other thing that has really stood out to a lot of us is, my goodness, we've had now three or four uh, significant strikes in Crimea um I- including on you know the russian uh, military jets that were parked there uh and these do appear to be uh the work of uh entities that were there um earlier in the war before the war probably even special forces so that's been really interesting to watch um i i i noticed uh, zelensky in his speeches today and yesterday he's mentioning crimea more that crimea will re- be returned to ukraine so the other thing uh, we're watching for is um, whether the temptation to reach further um, will hit the Ukrainians. And what I mean by that is, for example, there's that Kerch bridge that links Crimea with the Russian mainland. I I would suspect Ukraine does have the capability to severely damage that, but um, no pun intended, that would be a bridge too far. I think that would uh, invite uh, very harsh um, Russian retaliation, and then one more thing, of course, um, no six months into the war, no inch of Ukraine can still be regarded safe. Russia still has uh, the capability to use those long-range rockets that are fired from hundreds and hundreds of kilometers from inside Russia. These can reach uh, Lviv, they can reach the Odessa, they can reach the Ukrainian-Polish border. So. Um, The Ukrainians have developed more capability in terms of shooting these missiles down. Um, I think uh, the Ukrainian defense minister said a couple of weeks back that, you know, they can bring down maybe 30 or 40 percent of them. Uh, So that's helped a lot in terms of defending uh, Ukrainian cities, because it's very, very difficult for life return to normal if uh, the Russians still have that capability in their hands.
0: Yeah, as you pointed out, there's a big difference between fending off defeat and winning right in this mm-hmm. case.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, the um, what the Ukrainians really need, I think, especially in Western Ukraine, where life is returning relatively to normal, I've talked to a number of people about this, is um, a couple of things. One, the Zelensky government can do, and that would be uh, localized martial law. There's not really a need for curfews or for more martial law powers, really, in some Western Ukrainian cities. Um, the deputy mayor of Lviv told me that they would like to see that happen. So it will help spur more tourism and investment to come back. And then the other thing um, that's needed um, in Western Ukraine, especially is linked to what I said earlier, uh, heightened and enhanced ability to close their skies to these uh, long-range missiles coming from Russia. Uh, I understand that at least for Kiev, uh, the Americans are providing something similar to the air defenses surrounding Washington, D.C., that's pretty that's pretty impressive kit, but yeah. that would definitely help the, the capital protect itself.
0: Our guest is Global Affairs Analyst Michael Borsicu. He's a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, a Canadian who's uh, spent a lot of time in Ukraine over the years, including in the last six months. Uh, we've been talking about the six-month anniversary of Russia's invasion, as well as Ukrainian Independence Day. Uh, Michael, we'd like to talk about Canada. Canada's obviously mm-hmm. been at the forefront when it comes to uh, big words of support for Ukraine. Uh, is it do actions on the ground meet the words back here at home, and how are we perceived there these days?
1: Yeah, well, absolutely not. Uh, I think uh, Canada's response has been a big disappointment, not only to the Zelensky government, but also to the Ukrainian diaspora in Canada, which is huge. Um, there, you, you won't be surprised by what I'm about to say, because I've said it at least twice in the Globe and Mail and the opinion pages, but Canada has basically, the Trudeau government has basically bungled its response to the Ukraine crisis so at the beginning, I think uh, the Prime Minister was obsessed with uh, sanctions uh, that he thought would deter Russia. Well, they did not. In fact, um, uh, Russia had spent a long time uh, kind of inoculating itself against sanctions. and then once they hit, they were pretty well prepared. The country still gets, you know, uh, billions of dollars, uh, billions and billions every month from gas sales. So uh finally, the Ottawa did wake up and then they started to provide lethal weaponry, but that came belatedly um what is needed now um is much much more of this equipment you know uh super bisons i called the you know these super bisons they're called these uh heavily kitted out armored personnel carriers but they're taking a long time to get to ukraine i understand uh canada is also providing things like high definition cameras that can be mounted on drones so those are very good but a lot more needs to come and then you know there are a few other things, Ben, that you that Ottawa can do immediately. I mean, tonight, if they wanted to, uh, let's start by expelling perhaps the Russian ambassador, or maybe a few other diplomats who we know are not there uh, doing janitorial services in the Russian embassy in Ottawa and stuff like that. Uh, the Russian embassy has been very, very active, uh, uh, putting out a lot of propaganda and false news and misinformation. They should have to pay for that. They should have to account for that. Uh, The other thing uh, Ottawa should do immediately is fully restore the operations of Canada's embassy in Kiev. I was there two weeks ago. It shuttered. There's no walk-ins. You know, and meanwhile, we see, um, you know, I bumped into the Turkish ambassador on the streets of Lviv the other day, and he said, we never left. Uh, we've reduced our staff, but we've always kept the embassy open. So why ours needed to be shuttered to the extent it has, I, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, that will not only help uh, uh, Canadians that are coming back here in bigger numbers to go back to work or, you know, work in the humanitarian sector, but it also be, I think, a very important symbolic um signal to uh, Ukraine that, as Trudeau likes to say, we stand shoulder to shoulder them, with them. And then finally, um, it's embarrassing, but, uh, you know, Canada, with big fanfare, announced this uh, emergency visa program for Ukrainians. Many, 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 many have applied, so many, that now there's a three-month backlog, at least, for Ukrainians to get those visas. Let's uh, let's ramp up uh, immigration processing staff in Ottawa, in places like Warsaw. Uh, the biometric fingerprint system is uh, a debacle. They, You know, it takes a long time to get an appointment in Warsaw or in Lviv. Uh, let's have that um, uh, processing also happening in Kyiv. So, uh, because, look, the pounding of cities like Kharkiv, uh, Kherson, places like that are very, very bad. And as the winter approaches and po- probable heating cuts, more people are going to need a uh, safe haven and Canada should be providing it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, one of the things that's come up a lot is Russian tourist visas, right? I mean, the Russians are still traveling, uh, it seems. You were mentioning, I think, the other day that there's a whole parking lot full of uh, expensive cars somewhere. Yep. In, is it in Finland? In, in um,
1: Helsinki, yeah. In yeah. Helsinki,
0: yeah. I mean, it, it, that's something Canada could do too. I mean, it, it's, it shocks me that the Russian ambassador is still here, by the way, because clearly yeah. I don't think our diplomatic presence in Moscow is really that affected, to be frank. Right. Um, what about Russian visas? Is that something we could we could look at as well? I gather it's probably Oh, yeah, I, 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 absolutely.
1: Absolutely, Russian visas. Uh, visas for um, uh, the sons and daughters of Russian uh, wealthy people who have bought properties in places like Bratopath in Toronto. Um, let's look at uh, illegally gotten wealth or suspicious wealth that the Russians have laundered and brought to Canada, uh, buying properties and that sort of stuff. But look, none of us, um, our quarrel is not with the average Russian citizen. Right. But uh, what we need to do is send a signal uh, to Russia that uh, they need to be held accountable, especially for the war crimes that are being committed here in in Ukraine, and um, I, I think that um, you know this uh, this move to uh, prevent Russians from traveling. Um, Will probably hit a sector of Russian society, the uh, Saint Petersburg, Moscow elites, the upper middle class, but not the average Russian citizen, because a lot of them don't even have travel passports. But um, it will send a very strong signal to the Russian people that you know this is what your government is doing uh, because of those actions. Uh, this is, these are some of the steps that the West has taken, and uh, maybe it will lead some. It will lead to you know some movement in Russia to. Um, stand up to to the government but uh it's it is very very uh uncomfortable often painful for Ukrainian refugees who are you know in Western Europe for example and they're seeing these Russians traveling around quite freely uh throwing money around in places like Monaco and elsewhere so I I think that could that needs to be done
0: Michael as always thank you so much for your time stay safe
1: my pleasure thank you